0: Hey U-Turn friends, it's Ashley Stahl here and I have something really special to share with you and it's for this week only. So right now, my obsession, which is Soul CBD, they've put together an amazing bundle of my absolute favorite products. That includes the Blueberry Lemonade Sleepy Gummies and the Peppermint CBD Oil Drops at a super discounted price. So this bundle really takes the guesswork out of living your best life and being stress-free. And you may have heard it by now, but I swear by these Sleepy Gummies. Every time I'm stressed, bad, jet lag or worried about getting to bed on time so that I could get up for an early flight or something like that, I eat one to two sleepy gummies and within an hour I am a sleeping beauty resting through the night, probably in altered portals and outer space in my dreams. These gummies are formulated with a unique blend of organically grown CBD, CBN, and terpenes to help you sleep deeper for longer and wake up truly feeling refreshed. And I've been absolutely loving the peppermint CBD oil drops. And I love this flavor because it actually kind of serves as a breath mint. And this powerful tincture is something I throw in my purse and use it either to spice my coffee on the go or just put a few drops under my tongue to freshen my mouth, calm my body. Such a game changer if you're on a first date or preparing to walk into a presentation at work. The oil drops contain 99% hemp-derived CBD isolate and MCT oil, making making it a highly concentrated formula with no THC, totally gluten-free, organically farmed, all the things. You want to own your day the natural way. So get back to feeling like you again with this Soul Bundle. And on top of the discount, Soul is gifting a free tote bag to anybody who purchases this bundle. This special is running only from July 25th to July 30th. So take advantage right now. Visit ashleystahl.com bundle. For this special offer, again, that's ashleystallcom slash B-U-N-D-L-E. For 15% off this bundle and the free tote bag, I cannot wait for you to enjoy my favorite treats. Hi, friends. It's Ash, and uh, I really am excited about who's on the show today. It's Stephanie Rafflock, and she has a book called A Delightful Little Book on Aging. Creatrix rising, unlocking the power of midlife women, um, and also art in the time of unbearable crisis. So she is just a master, a speaker, um, an author, and just someone who has so much to say about aging and about unlocking your power. Uh, Stephanie, I'm so excited to have you on the show.
1: You know what, with that kind of introduction, I'm totally delighted to be here. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for making the time. And, you know, I love that you write and talk so much about women and age stereotypes. And I almost feel like my podcast manager is playing a joke on me having you on the week of my 35th birthday right now.
1: <laughs> 35. It's kind of the grown up year, isn't it?
0: You know, it really is like, I I feel it. And I I don't usually have like a whole thing with birthdays, Um, but there's something about like your thirties where you thought you were going to be somewhere. Um, And I think it's so interesting that you grew up. I think I'd read somewhere that your mom didn't really talk about her age. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah. She was from a generation that um, women lied about their age. Mm-hmm. Or as a joke, they would. They were. They were always thirty-nine. They were perpetually thirty-nine years old, and so there was this undercurrent of it was a shame. It mm-hmm.
0: was
1: shaming to be older, mm-hmm. and I think that there are still women today that feel like this. That's why the cosmetic surgery in industry does so much business.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so I know that you are a podcast host, and I would love to understand, like, what is the biggest. Um, mind shift or learning that you've had around yourself or around your age um, as you've been podcasting and as you've been writing books?
1: Um, I I think I started out wanting to give voice to a group of women who were not going gently into that good night that um, felt like they weren't done living at the age of 60 or 70 or even 80. But what happened was there was an internal process for me. Mm-hmm. that at a certain point, you know, it all begins to sag, it mm-hmm. all begins to wrinkle. And where is your identity? And for women, so much of our identity is supported culturally, and um, through our friends to be younger, that's the desirable state. And so it's easy for us to miss, what are the gifts of the years? What are the gifts of aging?
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, and you know, for me, I I totally get what you're saying because it's funny when you're a kid and you're young, your mom, you know, says like, Oh, to be young. And it's like, you don't even think anything about it. But now I'm, you know, looking at having someone on the podcast to talk about the pluses and minuses of Botox and laser facials and all the things that we're doing and, you know, walking around, I grew up in Los Angeles and I live in New York now, but I will say in LA, it's like, I see, you know, surgery of all sorts happening and um I myself I'm like do I do I want any of these things do I want to go under a scalpel to feel more beautiful so I think that you know there's such a fine line between loving yourself and an act of self love looking like saying I'm going to love myself into getting this botox because it makes me feel good um so can you share a little bit about what are what are some um wisdoms that you have for women like me and their maybe even in their thirties where they're starting to see the wrinkles. We're starting to see the gray hairs. I have three gray hairs and I was like, what the actual fuck are these gray hairs? So, you know, just any sort of wisdom for us in our own vanity and our own mortality that we're processing.
1: Well, and mortality is a big one, right? Yeah. Because you start to age and it's like, what is the fear of age? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, part of it is losing all that youthful, athletic prowess, youthful beauty. But, um, but part of it is just, you know, we, we want to look younger. Yeah. So I don't have any, I don't have any shaming comments for women that want to get Botox. I've been Botoxed myself. Mm-hmm. So I think you have to do and you have to choose what's right for you. And I also think that there is a line because we've all seen those plastic surgeries where you go, oh God, you look like you have a bad car accident, not like someone that was going for looking beautiful. So the first thing I think ha- that has to happen for women your age and still for women my age is a redefinition of what is beautiful.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And among my women friends, there's a kind of blindness mm-hmm. that we don't really see that are 70 especially women I've known since my 20s they look the same to me
0: oh my gosh yeah in a
1: weird sort of way they just kind of look the same even though I know we've gotten older um but I I, I don't know I, I think that we need to support each other with this new sense of what beauty is, really what is beauty can be because because with girlfriends it's not what you look like when you're talking to me it's the contents of your heart yeah that I'm
0: interested in yeah, I'm hearing you because I feel like in your 30s, you date and it's easy to be blinded by looks and um, attraction is such a real thing. And so I think it's really beautiful in this the seat you're sitting to be able to say like, beauty is so much more than the physical or what you look like. But I think when you're in your thirties and you're looking for a life partner and you're still building your life and buying your first home and thinking about who you're going to do that with, it's easy to get stuck in that vanity or that attraction, or, you know, these things that aren't really going to carry you through life. And so I love that you're kind of refocusing On that, um, kind of sitting in your chair now, you're saying like what matters is heart connection. Um, What else would you say you maybe didn't think about when you were younger that so clearly is what really has carried you through a quality life and you think does so when it comes to aging?
1: I think that your life becomes um, more of a spiritual process as you get older. And I don't mean you meditate more, I mean that you're reflective about the life that you've lived. You're reflective about the things that you have to be grateful for. You're reflective about um, the goodness in your life. And those are the things that you count Those are the things that are enumerated as opposed to what your looks are. And honestly, for 35 and getting married and having kids attraction and having that, look, I'm so young and lean and I can exercise every day. Look, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's age appropriate. Mm -hmm. It's just that you have to know what you said is that it's not going to carry the day. Mm -hmm. So you have to know it's like, well, this is the time in my life and I'm going to enjoy all of it. And I'm also going to know that things are going to shift for me. Yeah, Just like from 20 to 30, things shifted. And from 30 to 40, things shifted. And in every decade, there's a new answer to the question, who am I? And mm-hmm. who do I want to become?
0: Mm-hmm. It's interesting. There's something about 35 where I kind of feel like um, I'm like reflective, looking at my achievements and feeling this sense of like, I should be further. I should be ahead um the things that i've built should be working better or um you know and any of that uh, what have you realized about all of these shoulds and what can we share with everybody um when it comes to aging gracefully to kind of enjoy the ride a little bit better
1: you know i think it's very common by the way to at 30 to feel like you haven't gotten to where you thought you'd get to yeah I think that's a very common thing. And I think that we have to give ourselves a little space for that. But I also think we need to tell ourselves life does not end at some destination point. It doesn't end at 35 or 45 or 55 or 65. That life is always unfolding. Even if you decide it isn't, life is always unfolding. You're going to change physically. You're going to change emotionally. You're going to change psychologically, spiritually. And so it keeps unfolding. And because it keeps unfolding, life remains interesting.
0: Mm. Mm. Okay. And one thing I know you write about is grief. And Mm -hmm. I think to live is to die. Like we are every single day we are living, we're moving towards death as well, which is so interesting. And so in a lot of ways to live is to grieve. It's to grieve the past. It's to grieve Um, all the things you wanted to happen in the past that didn't, um, it's, I almost feel like, especially as a career expert, I've watched so many people grieve all of the careers and lives they could have lived, but it's not like it's too late. It's just almost like you can't choose all these different lives. You have to pick this one. Um, and so to live is to grieve in so many ways. Um, what can you share about grief for anyone who's feeling that as it relates to their age or where they should be, or just life in general?
1: Well, grief is one of the great transformative forces Mm -hmm. in life. Grief and love move us forward more than anything else. And yet we live in a culture where we're taught that grief is negative or, oh, don't think about that. And yet what we really need to do to get through grief is to confront it Mm -hmm. in order to move through it, in order to move through the sadness of of not having created the careers that we wanted to, or not having the success at the time in our lives when we thought we would. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm a big proponent of grief. Susan Cain, who wrote a book called Quiet. Quiet. Mm -hmm. yeah, And I think
0: that having her on the show, funny enough.
1: Oh my gosh. Well, she has a new book called Bittersweet. Mm. And Bittersweet is about how the sorrow of life and the grief of life is the place where our most creative selves are born. Wow. And I know that we don't hold it that way or think of it that way. And and there might be someone listening that says, oh my God, how can you think about that? You know, when you lose like a family member or something, how can you say that that's some great transformative force? And yet it is Mm -hmm. because when you lose a family member, it underscores for you how much you love that person, how deep your love is and how worthy of your sorrow and your tears the absence of that person is. And that in and of itself, if you give yourself to that, will move you forward then into the next phase.
0: Mm, mm. I love in uh, Women Who Run With the Wolves, how Clarissa Estes talks about you know life, death, life. And, and there's so many, that's the cycle that we live in. Um, and I was looking at your Creatrix Rising book, and um, you talk a lot about fear and love, um, menopause being a spiritual bridge. One thing that I'm hearing a lot about with women who listen to the podcast, even myself, is I just froze my eggs and it was such an interesting experience. I I posted it on Instagram. So those of you who listen to the podcast and don't check me out on Instagram, if you're interested in freezing your eggs, wow, I, I put a whole highlight on there. I've never gotten so many messages from women who are like, oh my gosh, I'm 40 years old and I don't have any eggs left. And I wish that I did this and all of this grief. Um, So I'm guessing menopause kind of takes that um, into a more grounded awareness, but what can you share about fear and love as you age and what message do you have for people who are in their thirties or their forties right now um, to perhaps take with them and age more beautifully?
1: Boy, that's a lot of questions. I know. Pick one, anyone. Little, one little thing. Well, first of all, I think it's great that you um, had the choice that you could freeze your eggs. Yeah. I think that's a good thing. And I think that getting women out of these stereotype labels of like motherhood can only happen from the age of 22 till the age of 32 is probably a good thing for us. It's probably yeah. a good thing for a world. I think sometimes a woman of 45 or 50 is much more equipped yes. to raise a healthy, balanced child than a younger a much younger woman might be. So I think that part is great. Fear and love is, is really an interesting juxtaposition because, you know, the sense of wanting to belong to something, a sense of wanting to belong to someone is so great. It's like an essential human emotion. Mm -hmm. And yet there's always the fear of, um, am I going to screw this up? Mm -hmm. Um, am I worthy of this? Mm -hmm. What if it doesn't work out? What if I can't really commit, you know, all the what ifs that we that we list, and um, one of my favorite writers is still Joseph Campbell, Mm -hmm. and he talks a lot about how it's not so much the meaning of life that we seek as it is the experience of life it's the rapture of the experience that takes us. So if you're having trouble um, committing or surrendering to love, it's like, give yourself to the experience and get out of your head. You know, your brain is just a secondary organ to the rest of this. Mm -hmm. So you really can listen to your heart and have a fulfilled life and a fulfilled love life.
0: Have you thought about perhaps switching birth controls or maybe even trying it for the first time and yet maybe you don't know where to start? favor, the company once known as The Pill Club provides personalized access to care from the comfort of your home and delivery to your door in discreet packaging, on time every time stay in control of your reproductive health with the resources available from favor delivered straight to your door they have more than 4,000 5 five-star reviews and favor carries over 120 fda approved brands and ships to all 50 states most brands of birth control are free with insurance or medicaid otherwise prices start as low as 6.99 per pack without insurance favor delivers birth control to your door for free in discreet packaging along with fun self-care extras. And right now, when you go to heyfavor.com, that's H-E-Y-F-A-V-O-R.com slash U-turn, Y O U. T U R N, Favor is offering a $10 donation to Bedsider.org for every U Turn podcast listener who becomes a patient. Your donation is going to help low income individuals get access to birth control through Bedsider.org. That's slash U Turn to get your first birth control package and donate to help more women in need of affordable birth control. Remember that's heyfavor, heyfavor.comslash y o u t u r n. You must use the link to make your donation. Now let's get back to this week's episode. When I know fulfillment is really hard to achieve when you can't um, feel anything. And a lot of people have shut off their feelings in the earliest stages of their life. And working in personal development for the past decade at this point, I look at so many people and think life is just about undoing our entire childhood so that we can (laughs) become who we are and not who we were imprinted to be. And um, that's such an act of love to be willing to look at all of the things that we shut ourselves off from, to look at all of the the feelings that we haven't processed. Um, Is there any message you have around processing your life, around becoming who you are? Because, and did you, did you find that there was a certain decade where you started to become more you or that women you think become more themselves? Can you tell me a little bit about that? Um, Well, (laughs) I
1: I love your, your insightfulness. Um, Let me address the the last question. I think that my sixties were a real um, reawakening for me, a real sense of reinvention because I had the option to stop working. I gave myself to the writing life completely.
0: Amazing. And
1: to storytelling. And um, I often wondered what you wonder in your thirties. It's like, am I, is it too late for me to start this? Mm -hmm. you know, I I have a third book coming out this summer. I have, I've been able to process the pain of my past. I think that was the first part of the question. Um, and, and I laughed when you asked the question because my husband and I have often said, geez, didn't you think you'd have it figured out by now? (laughs) And really life is that, is that it is the great unraveling of the false self Mm -hmm. To find the truest self, to find the most spiritual self, the most psychologically adroit self. Mm -hmm. And and yes, all of that gets muddied by the way we're raised, by the way the culture contributes to growing us up, um, by events in our life that we have no control over. And so we do process that out. I yeah. Think the rest of our lives, but to grow, to know that you're going to grow spiritually and psychologically till the day you die, should be very comforting. Yeah. People. Like I said, there is not a destination point. 35 is not the point where you're supposed to have it all together, and quite frankly, neither is 70
0: or mm. 80 mm. or
1: 90. You get to keep <laughs> unfolding.
0: Yeah. It's like, we live in this world of social media and it's like, people look like they have it together, but then I'm in a private text message group of everyone, you know, going through all the things they're going through. Um, what does it mean to be a creatrix? The title of your book?
1: I, I love the word creatrix for a long time. The paradigm in my generation has been maiden mother crone. And there are women who have done croning ceremonies and what um, is that? A croning ceremony is like where you embrace the idea of the crone as the wise woman. Um, even Clarissa Pinkola Estes writes about um, the wise women as the crone. Mm-hmm. I don't like the word crone. I push back against it. Um, I'm a word nerd, and <laughs> the etymology, the origin of the word crone, comes from the old French word. Carion, which means the flesh of um, rotting flesh of dead animals. Wow. And the word what? crone was introduced into the lexicon, became part of the vernacular in the 1300s. And it literally meant disagreeable old woman. Aye. And I don't know anybody that really wants that. But a lot of times when people go into croning, they're not thinking of that. They're going for the idea that it's the wise woman. So I felt like there needed to be a different archetype to mm. represent women I would say from menopause onward and the word that my editor and I came up with was creatrix. Creatrix is one of the three Greek fates. There was the spinner, the weaver and the cutter and the weaver was the creatrix and the word means a woman who makes things. Mm. So that's how I see women as they age. We become women who make things. We make podcasts. We make stories. We make art. We make gardens. We make giving. We make gathering. But we are makers. Mm-hmm. And we are not disagreeable old women. Unless you really want that.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, hey, I, everybody has a little curmudgeon moment. But yes, I love what you said. You said adroit. I've never heard that word, but it reminds me of French as well. Adroit, which means correct, like to the right. So is yeah. that the same thing adroit?
1: Correct. Yes, that it's it's okay. um yes, reasonable
0: correctness. Okay. Do you speak French? A tiny tiny bit. Okay, I'm bilingual <laughs> in it so I was like what are you pulling all this French out of you? <laughs> okay, so you know, I would love to hear just from your work and then I have more questions about the creatrix and who is she and what can we think about in our thirties and forties as we walk toward the towards this version of ourselves that we want to love and, and nurture. Um, what are you seeing in your community or in your life that have, as you age, has created the most fulfillment for you? You talked about heart connection. I have a ton of that with my friendships. Um, and I'm so grateful for these women. And I hold such a freaking high standard for the women in my life. Um, one of them shout out Brianna Siaka. She's the current Miss New York Miss USA. Um, she lives in New York here with me close by and she's so like her heart. She says like, you know, she believes every woman is beautiful. And I just, I I like to keep it real. And I was like, you know what? Every woman is beautiful inside, but this societal standards of beauty, not every woman has achieved those standards that we are facing. And she's such a big heart. She's like, no, but I do see every woman's beauty. Um, And the quote unquote realist in me was like, no, but some women aren't experiencing that. So I would love uh, to learn like where have you found true beauty in your life um, that you can start to kind of nudge us all towards right now?
1: I think part of learning to love ourselves and see ourselves as beautiful is to give homage to the creation, Mm -hmm. however you hold that. Meaning that um, in simple terms, God doesn't make mistakes. And so I think of of women like cats. I, I never met an ugly cat. And so I've never really met an ugly woman. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I think your friend sees through a lens that allows her to see with the eyes of the heart. Yeah. Instead of just the eyes that are attached to the brain, which has so much information in it from Madison Avenue about how women are supposed to look airbrushed. Yeah. And we only have this tiny little window where we're that airbrushed and that tight. And then it's like on to the next group. Right. it's you know it's very sexist. It's stereotyping. It's all of those things that aren't good. Um, but I think to see that new kind of beauty, you have to find some kind of spiritual path for yourself. Mm-hmm. Even even if it's an atheism that um, embraces nature, mm-hmm. but something that embraces your awe for the miracle of what life is is mm-hmm. what serves us as we grow older. You go, wow out of all of those sperm and all of those eggs, two of them met, you know, they met, they made it. Yeah. That's kind of amazing the odds mm-hmm. of you being born and I am being born from your parents messing around. It's like, those are, those are steep odds.
0: Yeah, totally. I, I was thinking about my egg freezing and like when I, so those of you who don't know the freezing process, which I really didn't, you know, every time you ovulate, you have eggs in there and one comes out or what i literally don't understand science. But what I can say is that it was mind blowing to me that I harvested 13 eggs from the medication and that my whole life, every time I get my period, there's these eggs in me. And this one time I scooped out 13 of them and those could be one of my kids. And, um, it, it is life is such a miracle. So sorry to interrupt you. I just, I love what oh, you're it's, hearing.
1: It's good though. I mean, that's, that's actually the way we need to to see it, that this is a miracle just to be alive, Mm -hmm. to be able to feel gratitude, to be able to feel love, to be able to feel fear and grief, all of the things, all of the range. I I get um, concerned sometimes because, you know, I've watched the techno generation come alive and I see us with our heads bent down in our cell phone or on our iPads, you know, on devices all the time. And I think that we lose something of the human connection that we need to get through the world and and take away some of the harshness of the world. Life is hard. Yeah. And, and, you know, texts and zooms. I mean, I thank God for it during COVID because it kept us connected, but I long for the closeness of being in the same room as someone Mm -hmm. and having tea. And that's, I think where I see the real beauty Mm -hmm. I mean, we were all a little shocked when we saw ourselves in Zoom for the first time. Yeah. You know, but somehow when you're sitting across from one having tea, you don't, you know, you're not getting a mere reflection of yourself. Yeah. And so there is, the attitude changes. Yeah. How you're with someone, the presence that you bring to being with someone in person, as opposed to the presence you bring When you're just texting someone or you're on Zoom.
0: Oh yeah. Well, on Zoom, the amount of input on your eyes, you know, just the, if you have a meeting, you know, there's so much research on Zoom fatigue right now and how, you know, it is not normal to not just look at one person, but see everyone and their background and our brains are just on overdrive. It's a completely different experience to have that one-on-one connection Okay, so one of the things I love that I'm hearing on you, and I want to ask about these different archetypes of the creatrix, of the different versions of her. Um, but one of the things I'm hearing on you is perspective, and I think perspective is medicine, and we all need it. And you know, um, I would love to just kind of understand, um, you know, where h- how have you managed to put these human experiences into perspective? Like for me, um, I've gone through debt. I've gone through death, you know, like my sister passing away. I've gone through disease, my me having Lyme disease, my dad having cancer, being molested by someone I knew. I mean, there's so many different pains that we've all been through. Um, how do you allow yourself to become this sky where all of these other things are just weather passing through? How do you manage to get that kind of perspective with yourself as a woman, as a creatrix? Um, and what advice do you have for people to be able to do that?
1: I think that that begins by listening deeply to other people's stories mm. to create an authentic conversation because what that gives us is this: none of us are as broken as we think we are. Mm. None of us are as alone as we think we are. So when women who have this natural ability to gather and share, yeah, when they get together and tell their stories, um, that gives one perspective. I was at a uh, seminar last week in Santa Fe, it was absolutely delicious to be in a room in a circle of like real live people, without uh-huh. you know, the zoom call. And the, um, the workshop was on personal mythology. Hmm. And on the first day, you know, people told their stories, and the stories were very polite, you know, oh, I meditate four times a day, I constantly work out, you know, it's like it was kind of the avatar, the social media avatar that we all use. But then the second day, it broke open. Mm. And what I realized that everyone in that room had suffering. Mm -hmm. It no longer is my suffering or your suffering. It is the suffering. It's the suffering of the world. And when we plug into that, that's the place where we go, I'm not as broken. I'm not as alone as I thought. And there's a great hopefulness in the sharing of that grief which then does push us forward because you go, Oh my God, what a story. Yeah. Then you go, what resilience. Yeah. You live to tell the tale. You're here talking about it. You're here talking about how it changed you. And, and that to me is amazing.
0: It's a two-sided coin, right? Because like, for me, I worked in counterterrorism in my early twenties and There was a phase where it was like, holy shit, the amount of suffering, like it doesn't inspire me, it cripples me. And the more I know, the less I can move. Like the more I see, the more I feel. It was like I know too much, I've seen too much. And so I think it's so beautiful to have the mental and emotional bandwidth to be able to take that suffering and really see it as not something that makes the world super big and unrelatable, but to make the world super connected and very real and to make your suffering very small. So I I love that you're sharing that. And I know that you talk about this creatrix archetype and how we can embody her. And you talk about the artist, the healer, the teacher, the illuminator. Can you tell us a little bit about what are these different versions of the creatrix and do we get to be all of them? Are, Are each of us meant to be one of them? Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: I think we can be all of them. I I think the big sloppy and is what really rules our lives, you know, Mm -hmm. and two things can be true at the same time. Um, So those were things that I put in women that I saw as creatrix, creatrices is the plural, um, the healer, the artist, the illuminator, the teacher. But I'm sure that there are many, many more of those. Um, I have a friend who is a master gardener. She makes the most beautiful art in her yard and people are touched by that Mm -hmm. it makes it uplifts them Mm -hmm. so is then the gardener a kind of of creatrix and Mm -hmm. I would say well yes anyone that is dealing with green and growing things and digging in the earth and and can identify with being part of the earth and the earth being part of them I would say that was a creatrix Mm -hmm. as well so creatrix I think is an archetype And, you know, I've started using it. It's funny when you start using a word, you start to see it other places. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that there are other places online where people have named their business creatrix, or I had a friend in a writing group recently who bought a little cottage in the woods to write in and she calls it the creatrix cottage. I love that. And so I think that this is an archetype that's developing Mm -hmm. for us. And um, the things that we can aspire to, it's, you know, the the first question, the primary question in life is, who am I? The secondary question is, and who do I want to become? Mm -hmm. How is it that I want to be in the world? I want to be a kind person. I want to be seen as someone that lifts other people up. Um, I want to be seen as a curious person and a grateful person. And none of those are mastered skills. Yeah. And yet, they are skills that we can aspire to and work toward and, um, filling that basket, nourishing that basket in within ourselves, I think, um, brings us to a kinder, gentler, older age.
0: Mm. Um, and I want to ask also just, you know, is there any tool outside of you, whether it's journaling or even psychedelics, like I'm curious, like, what, what exists that has brought you closer to your divinity um, or what practice do you tune into? I know you said you gave yourself to writing in your 60s, which is you're my, sp- like, I want to be you when I grow up because that's what I want to do. Yeah. Um, but tell me a little bit about just kind of these tools that you might have turned to, to come back to those two core questions of who am I and who do I want to become? Which by the way, I feel like so many people are asking the question, who am I, but not enough people are asking the question, who do I want to be? Which I think is just as important of a question. So
1: I, I agree. We all need something to aspire to. Well, writing for me has always been the examined life. Mm-hmm. So I do a couple times kinds of writing. One is I do journaling. There's something about writing by longhand that uses a different side of your brain. I can't explain to you what it is, but you get a different kind of writing. And it also slows me down because I can write very fast on a keyboard. So it puts me more in touch with what I'm feeling. And my journaling is a lot about the feeling tone of my life. It's a place where I can freely express my rage, my ire, um, hatred, anything that you wouldn't want to do like in polite company. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I also write um, in terms of story. And story is very interesting because we all have a story and it connects to a mythology. Mm. I think that going back for me and rereading some of the Greek myths has brought me great comfort. And now why is that? I, I know it sounds a little nerdy, but I found great comfort in the Persephone myth, mm-hmm. and you know, the story of Persephone, I'm going to give you like, give me the quick version for, for listeners. Um, Persephone was Demeter's daughter and, um, Hades wanted her for himself and he was the God of the underworld and he reached up into the earth and he pulled her down and Demeter was devastated. Where is my daughter? And as a result, being the goddess of agriculture, she made everything stop growing. Mm. So the earth was cold and barren. Her daughter was gone. That's how she, much she loved her daughter. And she began negotiating with mm. Hades. And after certain negotiations took place, it was agreed that Persephone would come back in the spring and that in the spring and the summer, things would grow and then there would be a harvest. But then every year she would make the descent. The idea of descent and ascent is everywhere in our mythology, whether it's Greek mythology or it's Hindu mythology or it's Native American mythology. So I read this story and I went, why do I look at my seasonal depression as depression when maybe what's happening for me mythologically, psychologically, is I need a time of year where I can make the descent, where I can say this is my time of year where I kind of hold up a little bit where I wrap the covers around me and I just sort of reflect on life and I write and I'm not really interested in hanging out with people that much. And then in the spring, I come alive again. So I live out the Persephone myth over and over again. And rereading that mythology helped put me in touch with my own mythology that I in fact was making a descent and an ascension. Mythology is never something that's true. It's something that gives us clues about what our own story is and how that story affects the way that we do life. So writing, reading. The third thing I do is I read a lot of poetry, not because I'm a poet, but I read it aloud because there is something so soothing to me about the cadence, the rhythm, and the beat of the words. So in the morning, if you happen to be awake in my house, you will hear me reading poetry and I usually stand to read it, to give the poetry its due. It's a little ritual that I've made up for myself.
0: Do you want to pursue a career in technology or are you ready to explore a completely new career path? This episode is brought to you in part by General Assembly, an education organization that specializes in providing expert-led courses to prepare you for a career in technology. When you learn the skills tech companies are looking for and how to transfer the skills that you already have, you can really fast track your way to a well-paid role and an entirely new career. So by investing in growing your skills, you can increase your income, find a job you love that also loves you back, and you can do this all without a four-year degree. Over the past decade, the General Assembly instructors and career coaches have worked one-on-one with more than 13,000 career changers. Based on what's work, General Assembly has built an in-depth guide to help you break into tech. So simply download the guide at ga.co slash guide. That's ga.co dash G-U-I-D-E. Now let's get back to this week's episode. I, I just, you're so nourishing and I can feel you've done your work and I strive to be that way for the people in my life. And, you know, to be a presence where it's like, you know, um, it feels um, enlivening for people to be around. It feels warm. It feels safe. It feels calming. It feels peaceful. We live in such a crazy world. And so I love that you've not just answered me with some basic rituals, but told me your rituals for you. And I think that brings that question forward for anyone of what rituals do you wanna have that make you feel like you? Um, And people who are listening, they might not have the answer yet and that's okay but just maybe this conversation can be a permission slip for them to be with life and let life start to show you what are some of the things you do that bring you back home to you. And for you, it's standing up and reading poetry. One of my biggest, um, the book that I wrote, my final chapter is about me wanting to write a poetry collection, which I have not yet done because I've got my, I'm up to my eyeballs in revenue streams and team meetings and I'm not super, super busy where it's unhealthy or anything like that, but I don't really wanna use my extra bandwidth to create more stuff. I wanna be with my friends when I'm not working. And so, you know, the fact that you've created these rituals is so beautiful. Um, If you could ask other questions outside of who are you, who do you wanna be, or my question, like what are some rituals that make you feel like yourself? What are some of the most important questions you've ever been asked? Or that you ask yourself that we can share with everyone listening so that they can start moving towards that creatrix that we know is inside of them.
1: Why questions? You know, this morning I was talking to someone about a story, and I I, I like learning about archetypes because I, you know, like Carl Jung thought that archetypes gave us clues as to who we were as a person, who we are as a person. And so, one of the questions for the orphan archetype that we were talking about is this betrayal, this sense of being orphaned. um, How does that, who do you become when you're left to fend for yourself? Mm. And I think that a lot of us in this particular culture, that's a good question for us because we feel abandoned Mm -hmm. sometimes by parents, sometimes by our institutions sometimes by just, there's so much digital connection that we feel abandoned by the flesh and blood contact. So who is it that you become when you are left to fend for yourself? And again, that secondary question. And who do you want to become? This. The thing about orphan stories that is so amazing is that we're really drawn to orphan stories. I mean, Harry, Harry Potter is the big example of that, right. the ultimate orphan story, or, or Pippi Long, Longstocking's from my generation. And what orphan stories do is that we get this dark-souled um, hero or heroine to follow, that the the orphan stories usually produce in us a kind of empathy and compassion that's a little more on steroids than Mm -hmm. if we hadn't been orphaned or felt abandoned. And, um, and I think people get very creative in looking for ways that they belong.
0: Mm, Okay. And, you know, another question kind of, uh, you're highlighting something so big, which is who are you as a result of your upbringing? Um, If you're an orphan, how did you have to show up in your life to, navigate the feelings of abandonment or aloneness if you grew up in a large family how did who did you have to be in this large unit to stand out or to be heard um and do you want to be that person or is that just a response to the situation that you were in so I think that's a really powerful thing that you're looking at and I also um am tuning into a question that I was once asked that really fucked with me for a minute and it was who protects you Mm -hmm. and I'm a protector. So um, my female friendships are really, really potent and healing. And uh, I think one of the reasons that we have such deep connection is because we've earned each other's secure attachment. Meaning I know some of the shit that they've been through and I'm not codependently tiptoeing around it, but I'm mindful of it. I see it. You know, one friend got bullied in high school and she's still afraid of girls talking behind her back. So if she you know, is in the other room and all of us are having a conversation, I'm very conscious to say, Hey, come on over here. We're all having a conversation. These little things that nurture this little girl in her that got talked shit about, you know? So it's like, we do the, we carry each other's little children, um, and so I've been a protector to my friends. Um, I've been a protector. I, I'm a I'm a dog mom, I'm a protector to my dog, I'm a protector to my best friend. Um, but when I was asked the question, who protects you? Um, it really shook me for a while because in a lot of ways, of course, it's natural to say your caretaker, your dad, your mom. Um, but after really sitting with the question, I realized it was my little brother. Yeah. And some people probably don't have an answer to that question. Um, And so I just wanted to offer it because I think it probably brings up a lot of different thought. And I didn't know if it brought up anything for you.
1: Well, a a couple of things. I mean, you know, in the physical world, I think that, you know, my husband is very protective on the one hand. And then on the other, you know, we're getting old. I mean, it would be, it would be hard for him to throw a punch to defend my honor. Yeah. Um, So I think about the, the, the child in me that I work with, that I nourish. And I, I have personified that child in a way of the, um, the wild woman or the wild child. She is who leads me in the forest and I protect her.
2: Mm-hmm. She
1: is the one who sees that somebody built a small labyrinth on the hillside of the trail that I love to hike the best. She's the one that points that out. And so I feel protective of her. Mm. And like you, I I also feel like I'm a protector, but I also feel somehow this child guides and protects me in certain ways. Mm-hmm. And that we have this sweet, symbiotic type of relationship. And that that comes as a result of reflecting, you know, you're never as alone as you think you are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's the misunderstanding is when people think they're alone. I'm like, are you sure there's so much going on in the invisible, but, um, okay. What have I not asked you about aging, about the creatrix, um, before we go, because I just love your presence. I don't want you to go anywhere. What can I, what can I think to ask you that I haven't?
1: Oh my gosh. I don't know. I was sort of blown away by your insightfulness. So I'm going to give you some parting words on being an elder. Um, Elder, I think, is misunderstood by my generation, that being an elder is somehow, I'm going to read your beads for you, and I'm going to give you all this wisdom. But really, eldering is this back and forth relationship of of being mentor, but also being the mentee. Mm -hmm. You know, allowing myself to be surprised and curious. When I meet a young woman like you, I'm twice your age, and I go, oh my God, she's so insightful.
0: Thank you. Yeah,
1: so psychologically insightful. How wonderful. And I can allow myself to be touched by that. So because it's a back and forth, then I begin to trust that process, that friendships never have to be with people your own age. Of course. You can be friends with younger people. You can be friends with older people. You can be friends with children. Um, but you have to open yourself to it. Yeah. Know that you haven't arrived with all this wisdom. I am still in process. I am still doing my work. I am still seeing growth and awakening in one's life. I really hate the word woke because it connotes a finality of destination. It's a past Mm. tense word. Woke. Mm. What I really love is this idea that we reinvent ourselves over and over and over again. We reawaken over and over and over again. Mm. That's the beauty of life unfolding. We are all butterflies and butterfly being a symbol for the soul. Mm. So I like this image of the damp wings of the butterfly slowly open, opening in the morning sun. That's mm. who we are in every moment that we are able to be present with our life and love our life.
0: Mm, I love it. And Stephanie, I definitely want to be your friend. I love having- Okay, your <laughs> you got it. <laughs> um, my final thing that I want to ask you, I just thought of one more thing is about being alone. I think a lot of people in their thirties and forties process being alone in different ways and, and, and throughout life, right? Like, but I think in my in my thirties, what I'm hearing is people who are married and feeling alone um, or people who are not with anyone and feeling alone. And then there's obviously people who don't feel that sensation. Um, I think being lonely and alone are maybe two different feelings, but, um, I think that aloneness is something we, we process a lot as we age because we come in alone, you know, like, and we We leave out alone. So what message do you have for all of us around aloneness, um, that you've learned as a writer, um, and as someone who spent a lot of time with yourself, even when you do have a husband,
1: um, alone and loneliness are not the same thing. Right. I think a certain amount of alone time is good to balance one's life. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: If in spite of that, you still feel lonely, then that call is coming from inside the house for you to put yourself out there in some way where you can connect with humankind, whether that's through volunteering or being on a board somewhere or just taking a walk in your neighborhood and chatting up the neighbors. I can't walk in my neighborhood without conversations with my neighbors because mm-hmm. everybody's always out front. That's how we all got through COVID. Mm-hmm. Could stand in the driveway and have conversations six feet or eight feet apart. Mm-hmm. So um, once again, loneliness and aloneness, not the same thing. Solitude can be sacred. Yeah. And um, it's, it's all a matter of balance. You know, mm-hmm. we want balance in our life. So if you're feeling lonely, don't hesitate to pick up the phone. I'm feeling lonely this afternoon. Do you want to go for a walk? And if the friend isn't available to go for a walk, then go for a walk yourself. Mm -hmm. Get out where there's, you know, in a park or around a lake or somewhere where there's commerce and people Mm -hmm. and know that, you know, oh, it's like, yeah, I'm part of this. I'm part of the human race.
0: I love it. Thank you so much for coming on. Where can everyone find you and continue learning? You can find me at byline-stephanie.com.
1: You can find out about my books, my blog, what I'm doing. There's a link on there where you can follow me on Facebook or Insta. And um, yeah, come see me. Send me an email. I answer all my emails.
0: Beautiful. Thank you again. Thank you for having me.